0: <laughs> Well, folks, we are uh, we. I am Randy Newberg, and you are. I'm Corey Jacobson, and we're here with David Brinker, David Brinker, the David the, the David Brinker. Yeah. Can we turn up my headphones a little bit? You, you want it louder? Just a little bit. He's okay. Two. There uh, we yeah. go. That'd well, be this is the Elk Talk podcast from Big Sky Montana Total Archery Challenge, brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. What would we do without them?
1: <laughs> we would be sitting here looking at a bunch of non-accessible country to our
0: north yeah. with no elk in it. With no elk. With no elk in That's it. That's right. So with this, folks, David Brinker is one of these crazy guys who whenever he decides he wants to frustrate himself, he shoots with a traditional bow. Uh, if you want to go to one of my TV episodes out on my Amazon channel or my uh, YouTube channel, David's in full display of how to use a... <laughs> Still traditional... my most embarrassing public moment. Is that David? I'm
2: yeah, sorry Unless about Corey that. asked me a hard question on the podcast. <laughs> <today. Okay. laughs> but, uh, uh,
0: so we've told David that while we do the introductions of who makes this podcast possible, that he's got about... Five minutes to think about his five biggest elk hunting mistakes. And what, what was your response when we told you that? <laughs> I'll save that. <laughs> <Okay. for> the...
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we want to make sure that you know that Gerber Gear, the maker of fine knives and tools, makes this podcast possible. I would suggest anybody who's an elk hunter go out and get one of the Gerber vitals and one of the Gerber big game vitals. They have their replaceable blades and they have the replacement mechanism dialed in. There's no more of this where you're going to cut your finger off kind of thing. So, also brought to you by the... The, the, the maker the, of the Sitka Mountain Shorts? Yeah. Yep. So, David, you used to work at Sitka. I did. How, how did he score a pair of Mountain Shorts? I asked shorts? him
2: that yesterday. I was there for 11 years. I don't
1: have any Mountain Shorts. Well, you know, I just tell everybody they're on the website, and if you can't find them there, <laughs> call Corey Pearsall in customer service, ask him where the shorts are. Oh. Uh, and, uh, no, you, I... I I sacrificed a pair of mountain <laughs> pants, and uh, I might shorts. have you make me a pair of those for our Roosevelt hunt. <laughs> I'm not oh. hunting in shorts in that
3: country. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, so that would so be a good idea.
1: Sitka Gear is a sponsor of the podcast, and as David mentioned, he was there in a marketing capacity for 11 years, yep. and in the last five or six weeks has moved on to new ventures, which maybe we can touch on here in sure. a bit. But yeah. Sitka Gear makes incredible clothing. Uh,
0: makes us more successful and more comfortable. Uh Way more comfortable. I I have such a low success rate, I don't know what, if I do get a spike in my success rate, there's really not, I don't know what to attribute it to. But I can tell you (laughs) that Sikki gear is as comfortable as anything. Yep. You like that's, that new shirt you're wearing there? I do. Yeah. I even got, <laughs> are you making jokes <laughs> of the fact that the last time Corey and I did a podcast, I wore it inside out and didn't even know? <laughs> I, I looked at it, and I'm looking, and I thought,
1: that's so bizarre, Sitka's putting tags, like the printed tags, on the, the uh, outside of <laughs> he the shirt. posted
2: something on your Instagram. I know. I saw it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I hope they didn't print those on the outside. Yeah. <laughs> we,
0: we did a whole podcast, and then we go to get lunch, and we're in the restaurant, yeah. and I'm like, where would my pockets go? And that morning, because I I had to get up at like four in the morning to drive to Missoula, I'm like, man, Sitka, they they put the buttons on like on a woman's shirt.
1: And that keyed me off to how does he know which side of a shirt the buttons are on on a women's shirt? Because at my house, I used to do the laundry. Wow. Yeah, that's
3: incredible. Hold yeah. on,
1: we we probably need to do an episode about Let's your talk about philosophy. That. On
0: getting out of doing yard work and all of that, yeah. but you do laundry. I used to so, be the laundry guy. When, okay. when when my wife was working, we divided chores. I did all the poopy diapers because if if my son puked, I puke. So I told her I can I can clean up the worst diaper in the world. I'll do that. You do the puking. I'll do the laundry. You do this list of things. So. I mean I could go to the laundromat and I could read Film Stream magazine or Boogle magazine or whatever and That's you know, a good system. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So that was, that was back before they had, you know, smartphones and internet and all that stuff. So. Well, I was worried you were going to wear it inside out today, so I'm happy to... Well,
2: I, I,
0: now I know to check and make sure the logo, the Sika logo. <laughs> Do you have right a dilly bar there? in your pocket? I don't. <laughs> oh, okay. I, um, I, I don't. I laid it over here. That's so
1: funny. I was just going to ask him if he if he had spilled
0: the, a dilly bar and stained his shirt. And then, he could, then he could turn it inside out. There you so. go, folks. Right there. I brought 72 dilly bars up here this morning, and they were gone like fart in a skillet it i was, just ate the last one and it was yeah. really really david good david got the last one it was almost getting soft That was a cherry i think it, it was. was he told yeah. me he was saving it for a child do all well, and you showed up and he just reached <laughs> in and pulled out the hand of it to you <laughs> <laughs> well that was the excuse i used for all the other adults oh, who okay. came up here i'm like you don't want to take a kid's last oh, dilly well, bar. i get it, yeah. I get so. it. Well, i'm glad and david you know, got it i don't know how we got from sitka to dilly bars but i we don't got either there. so the other one we got is gohunt.com who you're going to hear so much about that, especially when we start talking about researching and draw odds and everything yeah. else. Uh, but we really are encouraging people right now because for a short window of time, they have this 30-day free trial. Yep. We don't know how long. They, they won't tell us how the, long. That's, yeah.
3: But the end of
0: the month. Might be. <laughs> they, might, they didn't might. say which
3: month, but right. they said they the didn't. end of the month.
0: So so. But go to gohunt.com forward slash elk talk and get your 30-day free trial, yep. and they'll get... They get the insider, the whole full blown version. Yep. This isn't like a sneak peek at one no. or two areas of it. You get, you get access to
1: everything, everything that a full membership gets you. So the whole works. So, yep.
0: and then uh, <clears throat> we, we will have the how many time world champion out caller uh, talk about the next. A uh, partner we have called Rocky Mountain David? Hunting Calls. How many
1: times have you won the world championship?
0: Uh, ten, I think. We have nine. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, <laughs> you don't need to give a number, but we
1: have
2: a world
0: champion. So,
1: so someone asked yesterday, and they asked how many times I'd won, and I just, you know, said I've been fortunate a couple times, and Sam Soholt was there, uh-huh. and he said he might be a ten-time world champion, but I'm 11-time Axis deer Calling champion, <laughs> and he, he can do it with his and voice. So the only one in the world that does it, possibly. He po- he possibly is, but he does it really well. So. Really? Yes. So, but, but the talk call- podcast is sponsored by the Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. Yep. And uh, great calls. Obviously, we use them. Um, as many of the listeners know by now, my my father owns the company. Yep. Um, but that's that's neither here nor there. Right. I use the calls that perform the best, and fortunately it aligns with that so we can still uh,
0: get together at Thanksgiving. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't want to pose on that, so he better keep making good calls. And right? I told him that, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> gonna, I'm gonna be checking out other calls to make sure that I'm using
1: the best, uh, and, and so far uh, they've, they've been the ones that, you know, I, I can rely
0: on them, I'm comfortable with them, they make any sound that I need to, they're high quality <laughs> and... and cool. pff- that's what we're looking for. And David, for. if you want to buy some, you go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com and use this promo code I wrote down right here, ELKTALK, okay. and they'll give you 15% off. All right. I was kind of hoping Corey would bring me some this year, but... <laughs> he won't. <laughs> he, he won't. Last podcast, He we were doing a podcast at my house the other night. And he's got them in this little secret package, this protector kit. Yeah. I tried to open it, and he's like, grabs them. (laughs) Uh, And now he tells me he's got them in a safe up here in his room or something. You're just lucky I didn't have a Gerber (laughs) vital knife in my hand. You would have stabbed me, probably. uh, He gave me a couple last year that were pretty sweet. Yeah. So, 15% off com. Yep. Promo code. Elk Talk. Talk. That's a good... It's a good promo code. That's a great p- promo code, easy yeah. to remember. It fits, it fits yeah. well with the podcast. It does. Yeah. And then our, I don't know how we always end up talking about OnX last, because maybe we want people to make sure they get the 20% discount, and so we use that one as the That's last- a big discount. ...presenter. But OnX, which has revolutionized the way I apply for tags, the way that I hunt, especially as a public land hunter who loves hunting these boundary areas, David's hunted boundaries oh, I with have me. To be, that, back to my most embarrassing <laughs> moment. <laughs> <laughs> but I think all of us have hunted a lot of boundaries. Yeah. And if it wasn't for OnX, it'd be like, you wouldn't, Yep. you'd just go where the masses are.
1: And beyond even hunting, it's so handy. We were just driving, we were on vacation last week up in Glacier, and my wife said something to the effect of, you know, where's the road here, or do, we, do we end up up there? And I said, well, let me check and see. And just pulled it out and showed her on, on the OnX app. It's right here here's where we are and so yeah there's so many applications for gps for land ownership for features for trails for roads i mean anything that you ever thought you could do on a gps and way more now you can have on your mobile device
0: and i don't know yeah. how people survived before it i know it's one of those things where i think of how did i hunt before right. i had this and we're doing an e-scouting series with them uh on our youtube channel and so far, we've released the intro video, edges and canopy disruptions, burns, sanctuaries. On Monday, it's how to use hunting pressure. Uh, and then we get into a whole bunch more of them. And uh, they push that out to all, every one of their app users yep. gets that pushed out to them. You, you pulled one I up. I pulled and, it up, and oh, I you saw... you did it, it the other night. I'm like... You, you don't have to watch it right away. No.
1: It's I, in your inbox. It stays right there. So if you have the app on your phone, they'll send you a message. It'll show up in your inbox within the app. Then you can click on it and you go watch the video of Randy on YouTube talking about all of these different scouting features. and. Yeah. Well, I
0: need to figure out how to use that. that Appy thing. <laughs> in, yeah. <that> in, <laughs> that, you know how to, You know how to find yourself that, on the map, but you don't know in, how to navigate right, the app. The inbox thingy I'm not good at. So... <laughs> David, we you want to talk about? We're your, in the top your, five, right? Yeah, your lifetime of elk hunting. How many years have you been elk hunting? Twenty. I guess I mean in Oregon you can hunt when you're 12, and I'm 37. But I I started
2: uh, going with my dad. He he used to guide in Oregon for a long time, and I started going with him over there every year to guide and or to just kind of be along with him when I was six years old on. And so I've been going with them since I could ride around in a backpack when
0: I was two or three. So I guess right. my whole life. <laughs> okay. So that said, the question that we've been asking all of our guests is when we say elk hunting mistake, what's the first thing that comes to your head of, of your what mistakes yeah, you've, I, you've made? When I'm
2: talking about this, this is purely speaking about myself um, more than anything. I think the number one lesson that i've learned is and even just from watching other people is um learning how to scout country instead of scout elk you know a lot of guys will go out in the spring and summer and they'll be like i saw this bull," or you know (laughs) the you know there's 100 elk over here or whatever and you know and if if they're resident herds they may or may not stay where they are but most of the time at least in the country i hunt it's totally different when september comes so what i i like to um look at the country and the habitat and the past rut sign as opposed mm-hmm. to actually what's living there at the moment. Um, oh. Even though it's exciting to see stuff yeah. there, right? Um, I see I see people doing that all the time. Why, yeah. why is that
1: a, not a, a good idea?
2: Well, because everything, the, 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 the deck switches around so much by September, September rolls around. And you know, if, if elk, if ha- in, in my opinion, if their habitat isn't somehow changed by humans or pressure or whatever Um, they tend to rut in the same general areas every year Um, so if you can find a spot that has a lot of rut sign from the year prior chances are there's a pretty good chance there's going to be a rutting bull again there next you know that year Um, so I actually use spring bear season a lot to look for I don't even look for bears. (laughs) If I see one, I might go after it, but Randy knows. I'm kind of like, really? We might have to pack it out. Uh. And So so I'm looking for rubs. I'm looking for wallows. I'm looking for whatever,
1: trails. And uh, yeah. So what happens if you find a big bull, say middle of June, first part of July? Are you going to focus on finding him again in season? I guess it would
2: depend where where he is. I have some spots where they literally don't move year-round. Like Roosevelt's are like that, right? Roosevelt's don't really... Unless, unless the area is logged or changed somehow significantly or it just you know it gets so much pressure, the older bulls decide to totally leave. For the most part, you can bet on that bull being, or he gets killed, yeah. being there the year after. Um, or if it's an area where there's good, uh, uh, you know the, the ranges throughout the seasons, the summer and the winter range and stuff, there's good places for them to live and sustain themselves year round. They may stay in the same general area. So I don't know, I just take my best guess. Like this looks like, yeah, they're here right now just because they summer here, but they're right. probably going to be rutting over here. You know, he's got, to, every area is different, right? Yeah. Um, Eastern Montana is really different than the mountains and over by, you know, in, in Northwest Montana, you can't, they're not even the same. Right. And then if you go hunt Roosevelt, it's a totally different animal. So I guess it depends, but most of my areas in Montana specifically tend to lean towards, they're not exactly where they are I mean, they may not be far, but they're not exactly there. Sure. In the, and sometimes the bulls totally shift up. Like you yeah. may see a big bull in an area and there's elk that rut there, but it may not be that one, you know? So you just never can tell. But since I'm not much of a trophy hunter, it doesn't really <laughs> matter to me. As long as I know there's rut sign there, yeah. I'll, I'll tend to go check it out. If it if it seems like a good spot to kill elk. That's yeah. the other thing is, is sometimes there's good spots that have elk in them, but they're not good spots to kill elk. That's I have a sure. spot like that. In Montana where there's bowls every single day of the week but killing one there because of the topography it's um a lot of blowdown, and it's 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 almost like a golf ball like there's a lot of dimples in it you know i don't i don't know what for i'm not a geologist but <laughs> sounds but like w- a, a meteor crash site <laughs> maybe it's UFOs. it's <laughs> well, by roswell
3: actually no, it's
2: but uh the winds are super swirly so it's <laughs> it's a great spot to go here a big bowl every day and i've come close many times but the, the mature ones there, you can't get the wind right. It's just, it's virtually impossible. Uh-huh. So, and then you'll have a spot that there's less elk, but every time you go there, you know, you can get an opportunity. You yeah. know? So, yeah. I guess that uh-huh. would be number one.
3: yeah
0: And then, oh, go ahead. Before we get on to number two, of your elk hunting experience, has a lot of it been Roosevelt's? <laughs> no, I've hunted both most my whole
2: life. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. okay. on the east side of Oregon, I grew up in Oregon, western yeah. Oregon, and, uh, Within two hours of me is all, mostly all Roosevelt's, but you just go over the hill, over the Cascades and I'm in Rocky mountain country. So we would, we would usually start Roosevelt season tends to be better in the first two weeks of the season for some reason or the other. I don't know why Hmm. never really figured it out. They tend to rut a little bit earlier um, from what we've seen where we are. So we would always start on the coast and okay. then wait till later, like around the 15, 16, 17, 20-ish range of September, to go over east. Okay. So it's nice. It's a nice perk to being in Oregon. You can, you can do both with an over-the-counter tag. And I'll be able
1: to verify that in about six
2: weeks. Yeah, wait, Corey's wait. coming out to Oregon hunt Roosevelt's this year, <laughs> and if it gets, if they get, uh, if they shut up like they usually do, we may just drive over the Cascades and kill a few Rocky Mountains <laughs> Shut up! You said they're
1: very aggressive. Oh. <laughs> We'd have they no problems be. calling
2: them in. They can be. I'm going to show you where they are. You just need
1: to work your magic. Well. That's Uh, Yeah. So (laughs) I'm excited. I've never hunted Roosevelt's before. And, uh, you know, David and I have, through Sitka and and, uh, our relationship there, uh, developed a really good friendship over the last 11 years. And it's finally worked out. Uh, David's living over there full time and invited us to come over. So Donnie and I will be heading over and hunting Roosevelt's for the first time. And I told him I don't want to hunt in the reprod, that (laughs) thick yellow yellow jacket infested reprod jungle i want to be in the old growth where you see you know it's just dark the black canopy in there and the green ferns and the orange antlers of that roosevelt bull coming in that's He's, that's my dream i
2: can provide everything you just ex- described except i would add about 20 species of plants on top of all that no i want exactly Ten that i just want s- the salmon berries <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: blackberries yeah. eight foot tall salmon <laughs> <berries>. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. blackberries
1: yeah we'll have fun yeah it, it'll be a fun video to watch for sure
2: oh yeah no, we'll, we'll we'll find some find some elk to fool yep. around with. It is on my list someday. It just never fits my calendar though. I'm always welcome. doing something. in Well, this year it opens August 25th, so it's before oh. Montana
0: starts. Oh. But you're yep. antelope hunting. At I'm that time. I'm always doing something or, no, else. Mule deer or something. I'm, I'll just be getting back from Alaska, so. Oh right. And I want to save my marriage before I head to New Mexico. Well, Randy,
2: I don't feel bad for you. Yeah. an no. Alaska, hunt. I, I can't. I, I, I can't. have a
0: hard time feeling sympathy. <clears throat> I know. I can't. Why Corey
1: can't. and I are getting stung by yellow jackets. You're. Uh. I know people. I'd be up there living on a boat, eating <laughs> crab every night. Catching salmon. Yeah,
0: uh, it's, I try to get some sympathy around here, but I, I don't know what a guy's gonna have to do to get any sympathy in this joint. Yeah. Yeah, I, maybe I'm gonna have to come up here. It's a rough put, crowd around here. Put my here. leg in a big splint or something. You yeah. don't have thick skin around this industry. You won't last
3: long. <laughs> That's for
0: sure. <laughs> uh, so item number two, David, if, if the listeners I, are exper- yeah. looking at elk hunting through the eyes of David Brinker, what are the things David would say? Hey, don't do what I did. I have a clearly defined goal
2: that makes you happy, and because I see the, there's so much media now, uh-huh. with the the whole social media phase and stuff, and um, that I think people sometimes, including myself, set unrealistic goals um, because they think that 380 bulls live around every corner because they saw one. You know, a magazine or on their Instagram. Or or they're from Bozeman and they truly do (laughs) live around every corner. Or or you're lucky enough to live somewhere where they actually do exist, but still extremely rare. Uh, (laughs)
0: We got to talk about that. Corey makes that joke every time.
1: (laughs) So
2: for the anytime Anytime
0: we throw out <laughs> scores of elk, Bozeman yeah, has to be brought right, up because Corey says every person he's ever run into from Bozeman, Montana sees multiple 400-inch bull elk a They're year. They're chasing a 400-inch bull every time they go out. So that's yeah. why if you hear Corey interjecting that, that's where it's coming from. Not that there really are. I've lived yeah. I've lived here for 20 almost 28 years, and I've yet to see a 400-inch even close to a 400-inch bull elk living around Bozeman, Montana. Uh-huh. I'm not saying there isn't one run. And around here, but if there are guys seeing them on a regular basis, they should be doing these podcasts <laughs> and writing elk hunting articles.
2: Yeah, I, I think uh, like for me, I, I like opportunity. I like mm-hmm. seeing elk. I like hearing elk. I like being around elk. I get bored very quickly yep. and and kind of frustrated. And that's just the way I am. I would rather hunt around 105 points than have the chance of seeing one big bull in a week yeah so, but that's me so my my goal is I want to go out and be around elk and have opportunities and shoot one that makes me happy, yeah whereas the next guy's goal might be to shoot a three eighty and that's totally fine, yep, and it's totally achievable if you put your mind to it. people do it every year, but for me that's so i i especially people that travel from out of state come to places like this where they see these you know especially the last few years with these ginormous bulls coming from the east side and all this stuff. They come out here with these expectations. Well, I I don't think I'll shoot anything under 350. I'm like, well, (laughs) you got how many days? Oh, yeah, four and a half Uh, days on Uh, public land, and and you've never been there, and you're going to shoot. Okay. And it could happen. It does happen all the time, actually. But maybe set a realistic bar for yourself so you can enjoy it. Because people get too stressed out. They put too much pressure on themselves. And then they go home unsatisfied. You know? so.
0: that is really a Be- good comment, David. I I get so many people who are uh, like some guy stopped me the other day and he has the tag you and I had in New Mexico. And Did he you like, tell him to turn it back <laughs> in? <laughs> and he's like, do you think that uh, hum, I mean, I'd really like to shoot something over 350. I said, you know, I hope you do. But I got this sense that he was really stressing because his his brother was standing there and he's like, you know, this is my one time where I'm going to get a chance to shoot just a whopper. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, I hate to break it to you, but (laughs) that's, it may happen. I mean, uh, you know, we hunted that unit,
1: the best season. I mean, we hunted it hard. Yeah. And we saw one bull that might've been pushing 350. Yeah. And And uh, there was no way to get to him because he went out on private land and... Right. Hey, look,
2: there's guys so. that
1: shoot 350-plus bulls
2: with their bows every year, and they are very good hunters. Yep. I, I, I'm just saying, you right. know, have a goal. They yeah. ma- they a make realistic you happy, goal. Because elk yeah. hunting should be about having fun and
0: being happy. That's yep. the – I think the last part of what you said there, David, is that makes you happy. Yeah. Don't I, – I did it when I first started hunting. I mean, I drew a Unit 10 early rifle tag in Arizona. I mean, you talk about pressure. I'll, yeah. There was only 25 tags, and I've got one of them. And everyone's like, well, if you don't shoot a 390 bull, you've, uh, you, you know. Wasted the tag. Wasted the tag. I felt so much pressure. I was like, man, this is almost not even fun. I
2: don't even but, put in for those types of tags anymore because I don't like all the, it's just becomes, it's too much pressure and you don't enjoy it. So I put in yeah. for kind of off the grid tags where no one will want any part of what I'm doing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I think that brings up a, a story of mine I hunted Arizona I drew unit one in Arizona and it was my first out-of-state hunt Um, I'd grown up in Idaho over the counter so shooting anything with antlers you know was a a feat and going down there in my mind I said I wanted a 350 bull that was my goal for that hunt which is a realistic goal for that hunt it is yeah they're there and I had we shot there were three of us with tags we filled two of the tags the first two days I had nine days to hunt for me for a 350 inch bull And that was my goal. I wanted it, and I had an idea. I spent a lot of time field judging elk and getting to that point. And the third night, we called in a bull from clear across the meadow, comes in on a string to the calls. I'm looking at him the whole time, and his tops are just huge. His fourths and fifths and his beams, everything's just giant. And I said, that's a 350 plus. And he came in, I ranged him, I shot him, he ran off, he died. And I walked up on him, and he had seven-inch eye guards and seven-inch thirds. And he scored 305 or something, and I was crushed. The whole drive home, I thought this was my chance to shoot a big bull. I ruined it. I wasted it. I was disappointed, and it it kicked me like a mule. <laughs> at that's some not point, a good feeling, it's not. Well, and that's I realized not. then, score is it, you can't chase score right. and be ever be happy. Yeah. And I fortunately drew a tag in Arizona three years later completely different mindset. I said, I don't care what it scores. If I see a bull, and going back to that first hunt, it was a beautiful bull. There should have been no yeah. reason in the worry in the world to be disappointed with that. Yeah. And so the second time I went down there, had no care about score, didn't even concern. I don't care if it scores 280 or 380. I just wanna go and shoot a bull that gets me excited, I think is a big bull shoot him and I don't even care what he scores. Yeah. And that hunt was completely different on every level every day there was no pressure it was enjoyable and you know it turned out great. Yeah. And wow. so I just I don't even I don't try to if I if I say scores it's just more for a it's a reference, just a reference, so people understand. You know, maybe yeah, I, I can tell you the scores of the elk I've shot, but I don't, I don't hunt for score, uh, shot distances, anything comparative or quantitative. Just turns it into a, a match, a competition between other hunters, and yeah. and when fun. you're hunting for that reason, you'll never find true satisfaction and joy in hunting. No, because you can always get topped.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's Some just like money. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, There's always somebody with more of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I. That I hope people really listen to that comment because it is about going out and enjoying the experience and and not having that. We've all had it, that walk-up feeling of, huh. Yeah. And it's because you put some pressure or expectations on yourself that as you, 10 years from that time, you will look back and say, why did I, what, what was yep. I thinking? And so...
1: And again, that, that doesn't discredit or change anything about those who have a goal to shoot a 350 inch bull every year. And they pass up multiple bulls waiting for that one. They go through that. That's their goal. For me though, I found that the, the true satisfaction of the hunt comes from the hunt itself and not necessarily the end result. Yeah. Yeah, And there's happy
2: people that do that. I know really (laughs) good hunters that are totally satisfied. Um, it just depends on who you are and what you're, again, just have a clearly defined, realistic goal that you know will make you happy because we all work hard all year. We wait for, and it's like two weeks of 12 months. So like, it's sacred, you know, what a, what a worse way to spend your two weeks out of 12 months miserable and bitter and, yeah. and, and resentment, <laughs> resentful disappointed. and disappointed. And like, I, I, I just, I'm not willing to do that. I don't have any more years on the earth. I have hopefully a lot more, but I'd like to be happy in the September.
0: Yep. So, yeah. and happy outside of September. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For the 11 That's and, a and half a good months goal. of fall. That's a good yeah. Goal. <laughs> yeah. If you come home all mad and ornery because you didn't get what you wanted. Yeah. yeah. Your hunting days might get shortened. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And now I have young kids. Honestly, the, the best high I can think of right now is last year my son was with me on an elk and an antelope. Uh huh. I didn't care. I, the antelope was a doe. Yeah. But I shot it at 15 yards with him right by me, and it was, a, it was one of the coolest things I've ever done. Yep. So it just, my dad's been elk hunting his whole life. His, still, his favorite elk that he's ever killed was a spike bull. With his, it was the last time he was in the woods with his dad. Yeah. He killed a spike with his recurve. Yeah. So I think the the proof's in the pudding. If you ask people what their favorite animal is, most of the time you're probably going to get a response that's not their biggest. Yeah. Yeah. It's their best memory.
0: Yep. Because
2: those horns will someday end up in in someone's attic collecting dust.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So uh, that's just the way it works. That is true. oh wow that's i really like that one david that that's yeah. not like anything real technical Tactical whatever it's no. just yeah. mindset Yep. and so yeah all right i've got five spots written down You before we turned the mic on when we said we wanted your top five what was your response <laughs> i'll get there
2: okay. that's good. i'm saving that that's all right that's okay good.
0: so what would be a number three
2: number 3 for me and this uh, this is totally personal there's going to be people who are like oh, i don't agree with them that's fine um, i hold on we we have to say things that are agreeable on the <laughs> podcast <laughs> i heard from jordan peterson's podcast that being agreeable is not a good way to be really yeah. who's jordan peterson you've never listened to jordan peterson <laughs> come on now
0: who's jordan peterson
2: he's, he has i don't pod. agree with he's what he's said Rogan a couple I don't, I don't agree with that <laughs> he's actually He's he's an incredibly intelligent person. Yeah. So, oh Yeah. That's
0: probably why I've never listened to him. <laughs> not know
2: he's not a hunter, I don't think. Um Where was I? Oh. So, it's, it's cliché to say it this way, but I can't think of a better way to articulate it off the cuff is is the whole hunting smarter not harder, but the what, what I'm talking about is the whole uh idea that if you go further the hunting gets better. Um I grew In Oregon, where I grew up, you're hunting a lot of, um, well, you're hunting private timber company a lot around where I grew up. There are some public lands, but a lot of the good habitats still lived at that time on the the, the timber company, which they opened to the public. Public access. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and there's a lot of, there's roads everywhere because they log, it, it's tree farms. And so you have to learn that there is no six miles in. Like, there's rarely a spot you can get more than three quarters of a mile, even a half mile from a road. Wow. So you have to learn how to find pockets of elk around people and roads. So I I learned really early from my father, who learned from his father, on how to do that. And it's been really fun applying that mindset in, uh, in you know, in the Rockies, mm-hmm. because a lot, and I, I have nothing, I love going way back, it's fun, but... I've found my best spots within a mile of the road because everybody walks right by them. Really? Oh, yeah. It's cool yeah. here. Um, and some of the bigger bulls I've hunted, actually, especially in Montana, have been within a mile, of the, mile or two of the road. In with archery idea. or rifle archery. season? Does archery. that apply to Roosevelt? I, I can't find. You'll have to tell me how to find elk in rifle season. Randy. Okay. <laughs> I'll have to take your course. So does that apply <laughs> to Roosevelt's? Oh yeah, it's 100% true for Roosevelt. Well, I shouldn't say it's 100% true for. There's just Roosevelts. There's uh, there's not a ton of national forests where I come from, and even the national forest used to be logged. So there's roads everywhere. So there's 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 still roads everywhere. Most of the roads you got to walk, but yeah, they're very pockety, and and I've just found that most people like to you know they they have a mindset that's like, man, I got to get away 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 from people, which is you know there's a lot of truth to that, but there's also a lot of truth to, if that's where everybody goes, the elk are gonna get pushed out of there and they're either gonna go further or closer. And I think it's both, but sometimes the first three miles of the trail might be just as good as miles six through nine. So you're
1: saying we aren't gonna have any tough packouts in Oregon this year. It won't be over a mile, but it's gonna be a bad
0: mile. (laughs) (laughs) Darn it. It's not fun. (laughs) You know, and the reason I asked if you were talking about archery season or rifle season is that in rifle season, Elk are more in a sanctuary mode and not in a breeding mode. Mm -hmm. And I get a lot of people who are doing their e-scouting, and since we've launched a series with on I'm getting three or four emails a day with a map Mm. saying, is this where where?" (laughs) Or, or is this right? And the very first question I ask them is, what is the season you're hunting? Because if you're hunting archery season, and they're looking for cows and cows are looking for food, This whole sanctuary thing doesn't apply. No. Yeah, all things being equal, they'd rather be undisturbed. Right. But they're going to go where the cows are, and the cows are going where the best food is. It's just that simple. So I get that maybe you want to go do a big backcountry hunt for that backcountry experience. Yeah, it's amazing. But don't think that in an early season when they're on food, in a pre-rut or a peak rut when it's about breeding – you you got to go look for sanctuaries. No. That's a rifle kind of late later part of the year post rut late season tactic is sanctuary.
2: And, and, you know, again, all these
0: points can be argued, right? Yeah. They're fairly generalized. No, um, I, I, don't, good... I don't argue. <laughs> <laughs> people argue you with know. me. I just tell them, you know what? Call my wife. I, 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 <laughs> I know people
2: that are really successful going, you know, having that mindset, that sanctuary mindset in archery season. Like, yeah, oh, mm-hmm. one of them. He's, yeah. He's... But... I, I I tend to really agree with you, Randy, and and maybe those spots that I'm speaking of they're so close, you know, oftentimes cows are a little further down or whatever you want to call it, depending mm-hmm. on where you are. And so yeah, I've found that to be pretty true. And actually <laughs> I took a friend out a few years ago. I took Adam Foss, actually. I took him out a few years ago to one of my spots that was ridiculously obvious and very close to people and he goes he goes, we're hunting there? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, what type of people hunt here?
3: And I go, people
2: that are either really star- smart or really dumb. We'll find, find out. I don't know which one we'll I am. We'll find out in an hour. I'm probably a dumb one.
3: <laughs>
2: but it's one of my most consistent spots that I have. So, yeah, it's, it's not an always rule, but, man, there's some great spots that you don't physically need to kill yourself for and you can just you, you can have more energy when you get there and you never know. Some, it's kinda like the uh, the urban whitetail stuff. Yeah. You know, sometimes those biggest bucks live pretty close in the in the subdivision <laughs> yep. stuff. Yeah. So
1: Well and I think just that, that mentality that if I get way back in the backcountry and I'm away from everything, the elk densities are gonna be higher, they're gonna be unpressured and bugle more and it's not necessarily the case. Not always. The elk are gonna be where the elk want to be. Right. And like you said, during that time of year, during the rut, the cows are focused on food. The bulls are focused on the cows, so you've just got to find the feed sources that are most readily available, and sometimes the backcountry isn't the place. Isn't it? But that might be where they go to winter, or maybe that's where they
2: summer. Sanctuaries, whatever Yeah,
0: right. <clears throat> yeah. Now, I hunt smarter. I need to, I'll work on I that. Sh- I'm I'm giving myself
2: advice right now. I'm not talking to anybody. <laughs> I'm the first one to run in four miles and like run by two of elk to go to see if I can find a different one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's bit different or better about the elk that are further, but they, maybe they're more
0: yellow or I don't know. <laughs> it's the allure of what's over the next ridge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then if you do kill one, you're going to have like this brutal pack out that makes for such a great story. Oh, yeah. It's know. a great story. Yeah. You tell all your buddies, <laughs> yeah, it was 12 miles, man. Da-da. Yeah. Yeah. Uphill both ways. <laughs> did and it, it did in, start snowing. Yeah. After it, the rain. Yeah. I did it in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> Torment ACL on the yeah. first trip. Yeah. Nothing yeah. to that though. Yeah. I'm, yeah. But. All right. I got number four.
2: Number, number four. four. Number four for me is finding a partner that you have, uh, um, that you hunt well with. I'll put it that way. Um, and I'll expand on that a little bit find a hunting partner find a hunting partner hunt well if you like hunting with a partner i actually prefer a lot of time to hunt by myself but if you're going to cuz I, I use a mixture of calling and ambushing but if i'm going to be calling obviously having a partner is more effective yeah. and but man i've hunted with a lot of people i never want to hunt with again <laughs> and it's not because i don't like them off out of the field yeah it's because when you get in there it's in it's um if you can't agree like cuz when you're hunting The best times for me, I'm like making decisions rapidly and I I don't have time to think about it or debate it. I don't, I I just go. And that's why oftentimes I hunt by myself because I'm gonna fail on my own. I'm gonna succeed on my own. But I have a few people that I can go with where we can almost just look at each other and, and agree. And we trust each other's senses. Like if I say, I think we should do that. And they're like, no, I think we should do that. I'm like, you know what, you're right. Whereas sometimes you'd be like, no, I don't agree. See, I think they're gonna do this. And then pretty soon you spend two and a half minutes talking about it and they, and you've already lost the 30 seconds that would have got you in front of them because it, you don't get much when you're trying to ambush them with the wind, you know, and every, right. all yep. the other million things you got to think and about. And then when you
1: go with their idea and it doesn't work out and then you're, you blame, you're mad you're at them, at them all day. and then you don't want to hunt with yep. them the next day. I'd have killed and them if I'd have been alone.
2: But man, I have two or three guys that I can go with that it's just, we just, just like I'm sure you and Donnie and, and, and Dirk, I mean, you guys have a system that you use, you all know it. And you're—it's almost like a special forces team that's like really, really, really dialed, as opposed to a dysfunctional team that can't
1: agree on. I anything. like that special forces team. Well, I'm
2: not—you guys. Man, I'm no, not comparing elk, you guys. No, no,
1: you did. You said Dirk, <laughs> Donnie, and you are like a special forces team. We ha elk team six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Ooh, there you
3: go, man. But, yeah,
1: so. I'm going to write down that t
3: shirt right. idea. <laughs> it doesn't mean about
2: always agreeing. It means being able to challenge the person and, and have enough respect to know when you're wrong, too. Yep. So that, and then can I go to my final one? My number, number one. Well,
0: before you do, okay, go ahead. I don't want to disrupt your, your thought. I'm on a thought train. Okay, Let's do it. All right. This one's semi a joke, but semi
2: not. Okay. There's some partial truth to this. <laughs> don't pick up a recurve and go out cunning. <laughs> Unless you really, really, really are fully accepting the challenge of of really high potential of not killing one. I say, not the challenge of not killing one, the reality of... Right, and let me preface this by saying, I mean, any traditional, I think it's a... I actually enjoy hunting with traditional more than a compound, personally. I think it's more rewarding when you, when you do get one. Um, I've done it my whole life. I love it, and I love the community. Um, I'm specifically speaking to because um, you know, people coming from a compound to recurve, your, your expectations of, re- your whole reality is not the same, you know? Um, the, your confidence, everything from your confidence level to you know, the, the distances, everything is different. Yeah. And you have to fully accept those things and just know that you know, your chances of wounding are gonna go up, your chances of missing are gonna go up, your chances of tag soup significantly are gonna go up. All that's, the, I don't care how good you get with it either, so I see a lot of guys switching, which 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 makes me happy. Um, but at the same time, I want people to have a good time. I don't want to see them get really frustrated and right. then give it up. Mm-hmm. So just have really, really, uh, again, expectations like realistic expectations to know that I'm going out with this bow because I enjoy the art of this. I enjoy the nostalgia, of, the nostalgia of it. I, I just it's like a spiritual experience. This is not necessarily, you know, well, it's not as an effective as a killing weapon as a compound. It's just yeah. a fact. Yeah. It's just. It's not well. Some guys could—I mean, like one percent of the trad crowd could probably tell me I'm wrong right now, and, and they're really and good. back hun- it up, and, and they're really yeah. good hunters. Trust me, there's some really good ones. But for the most part, like and my, myself
1: included, it's going to be a lot harder, you know. And there- again, it goes back to that competition. We aren't comparing nope. you against the best trad hunter out there and saying it's not effective. We're saying. You with a compound yep. in your hand are going to be a more effective hunter than you with a traditional bow in your hand. Yeah,
2: and, and I, yeah. I, I think that's okay. Totally. And, and what I'm
1: saying is just
2: accept that fact and go out and enjoy it. You know, significantly shorten up your range. Yep. Significantly lower your trophy uh, expectations. Because <laughs> if you go out thinking you're going to kill a 350 bull in four and a half days on public land in Montana with a recurve, you've, I mean, <laughs> I you could. Yeah. It, it happens. But it's probably not going to happen. So. I love it and enjoy it. And I hope more and more people do it. Um, but it's just having that, it's a totally different mindset. And I think people will go out and they'll try it for like two days and get frustrated. They'll miss a bull yeah. and they'll put it down. That's disappointing because that's kind of the fun of it is yeah. that it's, it's
1: more of a challenge. So you're you saying know? missing a bull is the fun of it? No, it's not okay. fun. I'm saying the more the challenge <laughs> is fun. <laughs> so are you hunting with, uh, with traditional or compound? I'm gonna do both. Mm. For Oregon Roosevelt elk, first week of hunting season, both. You'll have. Well, both. I don't need a bow that week. You guys are going to kill
3: all the elk anyway. Whatever.
2: I was just going to watch. I was going to watch you guys work your magic and just take pictures and stuff. <laughs> uh, I haven't decided yet on that one, to be honest with you. Cool. Um, we'll just have to see how I'm feeling. I'm going to kind of. Uh, I'll, I'll decide. I'm shooting. I'm practicing almost every day with both right now, and so I'll, I'll see kind of where that rolls. But I think I'll
1: for sure do Blacktail, Oregon Blacktail, with the recurve this year. Um, so that brings up a couple questions. Uh huh. Two different things. Yeah. Difference between Roosevelt and Rocky. Okay. And then difference between traditional and compound. I mean, obviously we know the, on the surface challenge, the differences, yeah. the challenge differences, but you said you're shooting both each day. Uh-huh. I couldn't imagine the differences in form, yeah. the differences in release and execution. Mm-hmm. I have a hard enough time just with a compound keeping all of those things straight. If I throw in another weapon that i'm shooting differently i mean how do you how do you keep those straight i'll be honest with you it's not easy yeah
2: it's uh it's much easier just to shoot one yeah um but i don't like just shooting one because i miss my recurve and then when i shoot my recurve for two weeks i'm like oh shoot i need to keep up on the compound skills because i'm gonna also hunt with that this year um it's almost like a uh we got sound check going on in the background here and some feedback Sorry, folks. They're... As a
0: musician, I'm sympathetic to right. this. <laughs> okay. What, what are we going to do with those people? They're, they're taking up our, your airtime, David. I was just, just going to say something amazingly brilliant. Really? And, <laughs> oh, man. David lost his piece. You, you were on. Were, where was so I? were I? So we're going to have to put our mics as close okay, to we, our mouth as possible. Oh,
2: yeah. I remember. You asked me about that. Um, the I, I have to consciously, like, flip a switch. When I go down to the range with a different bow from night to night, I'll take both of them down there. I'll shoot a few with the compound. I'll pull out the recurve. I have to consciously flip the switch because it's like now I got a cant. Now I gotta go back to instinctual. Now the grip's different. Yeah. You know, everything's different. Um, but it also keeps you on your toes and keeps you thinking about like making sure that you reset. But I- I'll be honest with you, I'm. It's kind of diluted both. I'm not shooting either. Extru- like, really, really good right now. I'm shooting both good. Yeah. So, it want- goes
1: back to that analogy. If you do too many things, you do a lot of things well. Right. If you do focus on one thing, you do one thing great.
2: Yeah. Yep. So, when I get home, I'm probably going to just not take both to the range. I'll probably just devote specific days to specific things. And hopefully that'll get me back to where I was. But I'm shooting well. It's just, I, I mean, it's just, it's just reality, I think. Yep. I think if you focus. Um, so, that's different. I mean, everything's different. Technique, I mean, everything's different yeah. about shooting. Um, and then what was your other one? Roosevelt to
1: Rockies. What's, you know, are there differences there in how you hunt them and in their behavior?
2: Yeah, I think, um, again, I'm generalizing. Um, but generally speaking, Rocky Mountain elk, where I hunt are more of a, uh, uh, I don't want to say migratory, but they move a lot more. Nomad. Yeah, they're nomadic. Yeah. And you do get that with some Roosevelt's, but for the most part, they're, they call them, um, uh, homestead elk. Uh, they, they, if, if a bull isn't disturbed, it'll stay in the same general area its whole life. And that means its habitat's not disturbed, it's not killed. I already mentioned all that.
1: So when you say same general area, you're talking one square, square mile? mile? Yeah. Really? yeah. A couple square miles? Wow. A yeah. couple square miles? A few square or miles? Whereas Rockies will travel eight or 10 miles a day to go from right. bedding yeah. to feed or yeah. water. Huh. Well, you got
2: to realize a, a few square miles in some of that country is a lot. Yeah. It's not the same. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I th- I, for me, that's probably the biggest difference. Now there is this ongoing debate on, you know, which one talks more. Um, and I can, I can see where people could... I can see both sides of the coins there because sometimes it does seem like they're a little... Uh, Roosevelt's are a little bit more sensitive um, to condition, changes in conditions and pressures. And they, they, tend to do, they do tend to shut up a little bit easier than Rocky Mountain. So become more call shy? I don't know if it's call shy. I don't know. I, 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 okay, I'll speak to this. I know for a fact where I hunt... Changes in weather conditions shut them down differently than Rocky Mountains. I don't know. I'd say it just at a, at a at a higher degree. Um, call shy. I don't know. It's there's so many other variables yeah. to consider when you saying an elk is call shy. Maybe you're not a good caller. Maybe yeah. you know. Maybe they're not. Uh, there's not a cow in heat in that you, you know. So what I what guess I
1: mean? more. Which which is more responsive to calling? If you know, you I mean, eliminate have the, more the factors before, yeah. before I answer that. The other variable.
2: Why sometimes I think people think they don't talk as much is because you can't hear them as well. Oh, yeah, it's, because of how thick the country yeah, is. Yeah, I was telling Corey this the other day. I warned him about it. When we're there, you'll get an answer that you think is a mile away and set up. Because if you can hear them in some of that country, they're not very far away. I've made okay. this mistake <laughs> 1,000 times. Really? <laughs> yeah, you'll walk 50 yards and he was standing there. It's one little dip. Huh. The, 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 the vegetation just absorbs so much sound there and it's usually you know, foggy and everything too so um, they may or may I don't know, I've never seen the data to prove that they actually talk less I could see where people think that for sure but I don't know if it's because you can't hear them as well or they're just more sensitive to condition, I don't know, whatever yeah. but my experience is yes, you do hear them less What mm. about their responsiveness to calls I, when they're, when they're, when they're there and you can hear them and they're in, you know, they're running, they got a hot cow. They're very responsive. Yeah. They're very responsive. Um, but they're also, because you can't hear them as well. They also can't hear you as well. And so you got to be in the right spot at the right time. Okay. You can't just, I see. And sometimes you can bugle off a landing down in a huge base, but it doesn't work the same there. Yeah. I don't know. Like they might be able to hear. I've, maybe I've, they
1: can hear it and don't answer. Well, or Maybe, maybe they, they do hear answer yeah. and you can't hear them.
2: Yeah. Uh, I've, we've had that happen a lot of times where one of us will did you hear that answer? I'll be like no
3: <laughs>
2: and the bull answering is 300 yards down the hill But so you'll see if yeah. we get good conditions on that hunt they're very responsive you know the, I mean look at the born and raised guys yeah. they, they do so well and uh, I think if you have a really good system and you're in a good area with cows and, I mean it's just like every other, every other elk or good elk hunt um, so, yeah, but because where I hunt Rocky Mountains in Oregon, it's usually juniper and sagebrush and fairly open country. You're going to hear more elk,
1: and it changes the dynamics of their responsiveness. Yes, so there's so many variables. There to, is so—it's it, yeah. it's
2: not an easy question. It's pretty complicated. Yeah. So that's
1: why I—I I would you.
2: actually <laughs> love to know what the data is on if anybody has ever actually done a, a study on that. Hmm. But most people think they talk less. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
3: Huh. Uh,
2: how do you kill one of those in a rifle hunt? <laughs> well, it's hard in Oregon because the Western rifle season usually only lasts about five days and there's about a billion people. Um, most of the time, they kill a lot of spikes and small bulls. There okay. are a few guys that get after it and they get in the brush and they shoot good bulls, but it's pretty few and far between. Huh. Um, it's really, really, really
0: difficult. I can't even imagine. But
2: it's cool because the, there's a lot of old bulls in the rut. They don't get yeah, killed. Right. If they can get past their spike and... Their their first few years, yeah. They're they're usually <laughs> home free, <Yep. laughs> yeah. depending on where it is. Now, I'm, again, I'm generalizing, but on the coast, it's definitely like that. I think in the Cascades and stuff, where there's more open country, more clear cuts and stuff like that, they probably do pretty well. But I've never really spent much time up there, so yeah, yeah, huh.
0: Very cool. What's your guys's top tip?
2: Tell me, I need uh, something. We
0: went through them. Oh. We, we, you got to go listen to podcast number two and three. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I I mean. Mine was just, you know, be an accountant, drive a desk for a living, and get lucky. <laughs> That's the number one tip
1: or yeah. number one mistake. What's Corey Jacobson's uh, number one karaoke tip? Karaoke
2: tip? Yeah, the audience may not know this about Corey, but he is actually a professional karaoke. <laughs> no way.
1: I, where were we with it? Uh, Missoula. We were at. Uh, BHA. Was it BHA?
2: I think it was BHA. It was like one of the first years they did it. Okay. And. Uh, <laughs> He, he, he's like, we should do karaoke. I'm
1: like, Corey Jacobson? Well, I just k- wanted to go and listen to
3: you right. because you're the musician.
2: And- he hopped right up there, grabbed the mic. He pulled a fog machine out of his back pocket. <laughs> no <laughs> way. <laughs> he's
3: making it up. <laughs> really? You got, you got your mirror balls going? <laughs> <over
0: you>? <laughs> <laughs> the strobe light. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, you don't got to worry about me doing any karaoke. Dirk is actually... I he mean, actually he was is, really good. Yeah. He was really good. good. Uh, Dirk's good. <laughs> well, we just had Dirk
1: on the last episode. and yeah. We should have had him sing. Well, we should have had him. Brinker bring his guitar. He, he was
0: starting to sing there, and I said, man, we need to get you a guitar. Yeah. So, so, so David, David, you... Oh, oh, go ahead. Go, uh, all right. You guys
1: you, finish each other's sentences. I
0: know.
3: That's bad. <laughs> we, were told
1: the, we were told we're like a couple of old women from back east who
0: gossip. And yeah. so. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still offended over that. I mean,
1: really? I can't,
3: can't
0: you tell? I'm just so mad.
1: I thought it was a compliment.
0: I don't uh, think you
2: get offended anymore, Andy. I've been around you and you've gotten some pretty nasty Instagram <laughs> messages. <laughs> and
3: I'm like, how do
0: you deal with that? And you're like, you know, as you get older, you just don't care. Yeah. Yeah. My, my <laughs> comment is that person obviously has mistaken me for someone who gives a damn.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I admire that. I admire that. I thought
1: you were
0: going to say that person's obviously wrong, so their opinion well, doesn't matter anyway. Are wrong. So you just, you know, it's kind of like arguing with your wife. You're, you are wrong. She's right. And so don't, don't worry about it. Yep. And just like these, you know, people want to light me up. you know. Okay, you're right. Yeah, okay. Yep. You're right. But uh, whereas my question I was going to ask is, David, you, 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 I admire how you found another passion in your life or have always had music as a passion in your life. And I think we all end up having certain things that we do or want to do. We got to take the big dive sooner or later. Like, Corey, you quit your engineering career. Uh were there things that you learned, skills or, or just life experiences, life skills in hunting that helped you succeed in what seemed like an almost impossible chance? Like, well, yeah. I, I'm sure a million people said, David, you're wasting your time with that guitar.
2: What? Well, I think, I think, I actually think bow hunting's, well, actually, hunting. Is a very creative endeavor. Like you have yeah. to be extremely creative and be able to visualize, um, you know, a number of things to be successful. And and uh, music or writing music's no different. You know, you you got to be able to, you know, come up with something from nothing, basically. You know, yeah. um, and so yeah. And then on the other side, I worked in the industry in marketing for so long now with with you know one of the top brands in my opinion, and I learned so much from the people there around. Uh, storytelling yeah you know just how to tell a story and you know in a song you got to tell it in three minutes and 30 seconds and it's got a rhyme and yeah. never been said before and never that melody before you know no big right. task
3: <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs>
2: but uh i learned a lot from that so yeah i'd say for sure i mean i just like being creative whether that be songwriting or hunting or uh you know i used to play golf a lot same type of deal you know i yeah. like i like the challenge yeah. Um, I don't know why I always pick the hardest things to do. Yeah. Golf, traditional yeah. archery. The most frustrating thing in the a world to do. fly fisherman too, aren't you? No, no, you no. Know, I'm not. I, I just can't.
0: Yeah. No, I do fly fish, but I'm no good at it. So yeah. I'm not going to I don't have five tips mm. for that. Mm. <laughs> well, the reason I ask is a lot of people ask me, well, how did you decide you were going to do this? Start some platform about public land hunting and like this nebulous, intangible brand from, I mean... Uh, I wasn't selling widgets or anything. And uh, hunting taught me so many life skills throughout my life that have applied to business. You go out hunting, you don't get to control all the variables. This is not like a business textbook where you'd write a business plan and everything goes according to that. And Mm -hmm. every day you wake up and, and okay, I set my calendar and my my calendar goes just according to plan. Just like hunting. You're like, all right, I'm going to the trailhead. I'm gonna be first person there. You get there, there's three other guys there. Yeah. Okay, I I gotta go this way then. So you go that way, and you're thinking, well, the weatherman said, you know, it's gonna be nice today. Mm-hmm. You get back there, it's raining and it's windy, and it, so uh, for me, I could list off so many life skills that hunting has taught me. Yeah. Uh, the fact that I know I go out 19 days or 20 days, 19 days, I'm probably gonna fail. And it just, it doesn't phase me. It's actually
2: pretty amazing how much you fail. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, if you really look at it, like, man, I fail. I mean, it's got to, it's over 99% of the time, probably. (laughs)
0: Yeah. You know?
1: If you look at every, I mean...
2: Every minute.
0: Yeah. if
1: If you aren't failing, you're filling a tag really in hunting. Yeah. And in business, yeah, it's the same. You're every day... You aren't retiring, yeah. and especially
2: entrep- you're, when you're entrepreneur like you guys are. And I have a little brother who started a couple businesses. And in the in the tough times, I used to tell him, it's like picture like every day when I go out, when I wake up to go elk hunting in the morning, even though I know it's unlikely, I 100% believe I'm going to be successful. Yep. <laughs> even even if I'm like a month in, I'm sleep deprived and it's like <laughs> they've just kicked my butt, I believe that in. The next minute something's going to happen, yeah. and eventually it will. Yep. And I think that's how music is, too, is even though my musical goals are simply to make the music and, and you know use them to help the things that I like in the industry for now. Uh, but you know, no one's it, it, I, he's got to get up every day and just do it and show up. And there's not necessar- it's not necessarily any more fruitful than that other yep. than just you got to figure out a way to enjoy the process. And that means enjoying failing and like doing stuff not very well for a very long period of time. Yep. Yeah. And then eventually you're like, holy crap, today was an amazing day in music or today I killed a bull elk. Right. But if you look back and then I always told my little brother, like, you may have two years of bad biz—you bus- know, bad times in business or whatever. And then one day you get one phone call and that makes... The whole time amazing experience yeah. the story now turns good that's how outcoming is you fail for a month but then you kill a bull, and your whole season ba- becomes about that bowl as opposed to all the times you're about ready to cry on the mountain <laughs> totally yeah. no and
1: i always go back to the babe ruth analogy you know he was up to bat and it's ninth inning they're down by one base is loaded he's you know two outs he's got two strikes against him and he steps up there and cranks out a home run and they ask him after the game Were you nervous, worried about that last pitch? And he said, honestly, no. The odds were in my favor at that point. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, you look at it that way. You fail, you fail, you fail. Eventually, if you're working hard and you're changing and learning from your mistakes, you're going to hit one. And every time you miss, your odds of of hitting it go up. And so we say that all the time, elk hunting. You know, we mess up a setup. We mess up a setup. We mess up a setup. The odds are going in our favor every time that happens. And we just have to stick after it until Mm -hmm. they it actually hits.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people remember that Babe Ruth hit 714 home runs, but nobody knows he struck out over 3,000 times. Yeah. That's yep. really interesting. Yeah. Everyone wants to think That's telling. About that. And so, for me, whether it's business, whether it's hunting, I just wake up and I'm sticking with it. Yeah. And I'm not going to be deterred. And, and I think, I, I can, in the business world, I can, if someone is a hunter, I can almost get a feeling like this person has some life experiences and it may not be hunting it might be some other endeavor where you fail regularly you have to learn you you think about when you're out hunting same in business I can't just sit there and say you know I want to think about this one item for three days I give it about three minutes and I make a decision and I move on same with hunting I'm reading the the landscape. I'm reading what I heard, what I saw, the tracks, the weather. I'm taking in so much information so quickly and making decision after decision after decision. In the course of a hunting day, I bet you I've made 500 decisions. I don't realize it, but I have. Mm. Same in in the world of business. uh, I'm taking all this information that's changing every hour, something different than I thought, and I have to make a decision, live with it, and move on. Yep. And I, for me, uh, hunting provides me so many things other than just, okay, I shot a bowler, I feel like oh, that's, That's really,
2: really true.
1: Well, uh, I remember, 100% I mean, agree. when did we hunt hogs in California the first time? Was it 2008? You, you got to mention that failure? We got to
2: talk no, about we're my failure. No, I'm not going that way.
3: <laughs> Was Is it that 2008? What you got
1: yeah, the first time. Can we tell that story very briefly? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Where, where I can't the, tell as well as you. Well, I can tell it All only I because there was a I do remember
2: very clearly when we went, uh, this was in 2008. Corey came down to Cal. This is when Sitka was still in California. He came down to California on a hog hunt. We had arranged with some pro staff guys, and my dad came along, who's a f- pretty lively fellow, <laughs> and he's always jerking with the train. He, he's always joking around, and Corey walks into camp, and he goes, Corey, some, somewhere along the lines, yep. I got a tip for you if if a if a, a if if you shoot a pig or if you're close to a pig and it starts to charge you wait till they get right almost to you and then jump out of the way they're almost like a what do you say like some some snakes that can't you yeah, know, go. Well, he basically uh, uh,
1: said, You have to wait until the last yeah. <laughs> second. And if you jump too early, they're going to adjust and they're going to get you. And he's like, If you wait too late, they're going to get you. He's like, It has to be just timed <laughs> and Corey perfectly.
2: Goes, ha, 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 yeah, right. And yeah, yeah and I, like, I just
1: thought, you know, he was a jokester and he was uh, telling me that to, I'm like, I'm not scared of a hog. You know, he's like, Well, they got tusks <laughs> this long and they'll rip your legs off. And so, anyways, the last night there, I shoot a pig and it hits it a little far back. And so it goes over the ridge. And so the guy I'm hunting with, we go walking up there and tracking it and we're in this uh, manzanita and just thick thick stuff just tearing us up we're down hands and knees half the time and we come up and i'm face to face at about 10 feet with this hog that's you know still very much alive and without even anything we made eye contact and he was coming at me straight at me really (laughs) and i I literally in my mind Mm -hmm. i'm thinking his dad told me to wait till the last second and sidestep. And I look and there's just nowhere to sidestep. And it was the last second, I jumped into this manzanita bush <laughs> and it ran right by me within inches yeah, right. and kept going and got up on the hill and I shot it again and end of story. But.
2: It and, was, and then, that didn't it happen again the next hap- time we went pig hunting? Yeah, something? it happened
1: again uh, <laughs> last year when we were down... I've never taken Corey pig
2: hunting again. <laughs> yeah,
3: I shoot a
1: pig, and we go up there, and it's still alive, and it jumps up and <laughs> comes right at me. I'm like, wow, what is he's got two for two? He's got bad pig karma. Yeah. <laughs> but my my original point was, we were, uh, we were down there 2008, so it's been 10 years ago, and David has a guitar. And he's sitting in his tent during the middle of the day, just in strumming chords and, you know, just... It wasn't... What I'd call a great guitarist, uh-huh. and he's working on some lyrics and stuff. And
2: it was we would be honest—it was bad.
1: It, it wasn't bad, but it was amateur. Yeah. I mean, it was his his guitar playing skills were. It was fun to listen to around a campfire, but yeah. you could probably sing a song with a yeah. G and a C and an F yeah. chord, and that yeah. was about it. Yeah. And songwriting was—you know—it was a passion. He's like, I want to be a songwriter someday. Yeah, but his songs weren't. You you have to tell a story, you have to rhyme, you have to do all these things, and at that point, they weren't. And to watch the evolution of that, it's been step-by-step. It wasn't one day he woke up and hit a home run. It was work, 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 work. And honestly, he he released his album, what, uh, three months ago? April, yeah. April.
3: yeah.
1: And it's one of the best albums I've listened to because it's so heartfelt, the storytelling is so phenomenal... The artist he had, you know, supporting him from musicians to other backup singers and everything, everything just came together, and it's a home run. I mean, really, it is, and it's it's you can't take for granted the work that goes into getting to that point. That was his dream. He wanted to be a songwriter. He wrote every song on it. He played on it. I mean, that's to chase a dream for 10 years and put in that day-to-day work. entrepreneurs, business, hunting, life in general. Yeah. You can sum it up right there. Yeah, Yeah.
2: no, my wife and I talk about this all the time um, uh, in terms of, because I get a lot of comments on actually traditional bow hunting or any traditional bow hunting mainly in the music also because there are two things a lot of people want to try. Yeah. And they'll go, man, I wish I could play the guitar. Yeah. Or whatever, or sing, or whatever it may be. (laughs) And I always tell them, uh, 12, 15 years ago I couldn't sing or play the guitar and uh, and nobody wanted me to trust me no. <laughs> like I didn't wake up in the morning and people are like you should keep playing I mean yeah your family does but yeah. no one else And but I wanted to and I enjoyed it and if you can kind of get in that little cocoon and, and, and you can see through the sort of the uphill battles that make most people stop yeah. Yeah. Uh, and take like every single day, take even if it's like 30 seconds or a minute or 10 minutes or an hour or whatever, and whatever craft you're working at or skill you want to develop and just take a little tiny chunk out of it pretty soon. uh, Jordan Peterson, who you don't know who this is, but he, Uh he says, he says aim or, um, uh, Set a low bar, and most people think, "Well, you shouldn't set a low bar. You should set your bar high." And he, that's not his point. His point is, is short term, your bar should your, your bar should be low, yeah. because you're not going to get over the high bar yep. in 2008. Dave a songwriter. Yeah, you go over the bar tomorrow, and then the bar the next day, and then the bar, and then pretty soon you look backwards and you're like, "Holy crap! I can't remember if the bar used to be that low." Yep. And now I'm doing this, and that'll probably never end your entire life. I will never be. The, uh, you know, I'll be the best I can be, you know, over the course of time, but I'll never be where I want to be. My guitar teacher, teacher t- told me a long time ago, he told me, you'll never get there. And I go, what do you mean I'll never get there? He's like, because there is no there. There is no such yeah. thing as there in yep. elk hunting or anything. It's like, you're just, it's this day-to-day battle to, for constant improvement. Yeah. And that's all it is. And, and then pretty soon you, you have the sum of that is pretty darn good. Like you've been working at being an elk caller your whole life. And right now you're at a place where the sum of the, you know, 15,000 hours you've practiced or whatever it is, I bet you it's over 10,000 hours. You are to where you are right now. And the guy that's going to go to sportsman's tomorrow because of this podcast or wherever and buy an elk call, it simply isn't going to get there tomorrow. Yeah. But, you know, five years from now, they may look back and go, man, I am so much better since the first time I heard Corey talking about it. So... Anyway, it's a bit of a tangent, but I, no, do, believe, great. Nice. I do believe in really that wholeheartedly valid. because I think 99% of my peers or the people that you see from day to day stop uh, pursuing things they want to because they can't get over the high hurdle when all they gotta do is jump over a little one. Yeah, yep. That's all. Yeah. I think it's
1: you know, so applicable to everything that we've talked about. But hunting, you, know, you look at success rates in hunting, and people come out and they fail to fill their tag, they wanna quit, yeah. they want instant success and it doesn't happen in anything. Yes, there are, there are cases where it does, but if you want the path to, to true consistent success, you get up every day, you put your shoes on, yeah. you put your boots on, you hike up the mountain, yep. and you go and you push. Yeah, and then
2: right when you think you've got there, it'll humble you again. Exactly. You'll have a year
1: where you're like, man, I thought I was
2: good
0: at this. I am not good at this. (laughs) (laughs) And then for me, another part of it has been, I quit one thing in my life. When I was younger, I quit something. And it still sticks with me today that I will never quit ever again. Never again will I quit. And when I'm out hunting, and the conditions say I should quit, the hunting pressure says I should quit, I might be feeling like crap, whatever it is, I'm just not gonna quit. Yep, yeah. And how much? That's many, a good I, rule to live by. Yeah. I mean, it's, if quitting is not an option, you, it, it eliminates so many uh, yeah. thoughts in your head. Because mm-hmm. what occupies your head is the, well, I'm just gonna bail. I'm quitting. If that's not an option, now the only options remaining is to see it through, hunt the day out, give it hell. And it's amazing how many times I've thought about quitting and no, I, I don't quit. And end ended up filling a tag that day or, or learning something that helped me fill a tag the next day or the day after. And a friend, of my, a friend of mine, Tom Foss, told me one time that you should hunt as hard the last
2: day as you did the first day. Yep. Yeah. Every time. And if you do that, you'll be successful. Yeah. Yep. And whatever you determine or you define success as, yeah.
0: and and that not quitting, I apply that to the rest of my life also. I mean, I just, I am. <laughs> if I start something, you're gonna have to put me in the dirt before I quit. <laughs> I, I just how it is, and I think hunting reinforces the value of sticking with it and yep. not giving up. Because if we gave up in hunting <laughs> when you, it got tough, you'd never step out of the truck. Right? You'd sell your gear <laughs> the second day. Of the totally. Yep. It, oh. So. Well, Awesome. We're, uh, we're holding the audience slightly longer than we'd like to, but uh, again, I'll, uh, I'm going to do a ra- quick Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation piece while you drum up the Sitka question of the week. Okay. That work? Oh, David's doing a drum, drum roll. roll drum roll. Yeah. So, um, but because we're still sitting in beautiful Big Sky, Montana, um, it just seems appropriate that I talk about the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Just south of here is a place called Taylor's Fork. Taylor's fork is the critical migration route for all wildlife that comes from the northwest corner of yellowstone and they migrate and spend the winter over in what's called the madison valley they got to go over the madison range and in 2004 uh a guy who came to montana bought a bunch of stuff that had been platted for 20 acre parcels And he was going to go put cabins in there. And the Forest Service denied him a permit to to cross the creek, to build a bridge across the creek. So he flew, used a helicopter to start flying cabins in there. He's like, I'll show you. And a guy named Alex Diekman, who's no longer with us, one of my dear friends, uh, worked for the Trust for Public Lands. Uh, He came to me and said, you know, I think I can talk with this guy, but I need someone with the horsepower who's willing to work with the legislature and the delegation to keep this drainage from being chopped up and made into cabins. So Alex put the deal together uh, quietly. He worked with uh, Ron Marcoux and the, he, Ron was the lands guy at the Elk Foundation at the time. And uh, that now because of that, because of the Elk Foundation saying, yeah, we'll carry the ball. Uh, they worked with the Montana delegation and Congress to get the the deal done. The Taylor's Fork is still intact, and it's it is remarkable, unbelievable. Beautiful country. Elk country. Yeah. It's it, if, if you think about what would happen to those elk herds if the Taylor's Fork was now a bunch of cabins on 20-acre parcels. Yeah. It just would be terrible yeah change everything uh, change the whole system so if you travel to southwest montana or you go to west yellowstone montana and you come north uh when you're driving through yellowstone park and you see all these elk and bighorn sheep and even some bison and and other stuff moose know that those animals would not have a place to go in winter or it'd be a lot harder let's put it that way yeah if not for the work of the rocky mountain elk foundation cheers to that yeah, it's awesome. So, with that, what's our uh, Sitka question of the week?
1: Sitka gear question for this episode, and I'll, uh, I'll just I'll give you the question, and then we can maybe talk about it, but what effect do cattle have on elk and elk hunting?
0: Oh, boy. That's going to depend on where you're at. Why? Well, I live in the Northern Rockies in Montana, where public land grazing gets a really hard ride from from hunters, and... We have water in every drainage, and so if someone sees some elk crap or uh, cow crap, they're like, damn, cattle ran them all out of here. Uh, but yet, if I go to New Mexico or Arizona where water is very, very rare, uh, most of the man-made water that exists is because of these public land grazers for their cattle. So the, the political dynamics of it is I, I get that some people don't like to have cattle where they're hunting. The flip side of it is, I like those water improvements that bring more habitat value to those lands in really arid climates. As far as how do elk respond, I don't know. Do will like elk a, co-mingle
1: with cattle into what it, you know, can you overgraze and have too many cattle in an area where they will
0: push the elk out, or will they coexist? The... the science all the studies you read say that they'll coexist within a general area but not within not much within the, the real the coast. same meadow right yeah and can you overgraze it yeah that's been proven many times but then also there's studies that show that if grazed properly and rotated properly it actually enhances some of the the forage values so are elk grazing or browsing they're grazing so they're competing for the same food sources as cattle, sometimes. But they also there's studies that show in certain landscapes that they select for different different grasses and select for different forbs. So I, I think people. Uh, and I'm guilty of it. I like to generalize things, man. My answer is way easier to do yeah. that, you know? <laughs> this I, stuff's I, I, not I, complicated. If I'm going to paint, I want a brush about this wide, <laughs> man.
3: <laughs> Problem solved. It's, it's not, not
0: opinion but, anymore, it's fact. right. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, you guys probably have different experiences than I do, but I try to... I, I'm really into the science and the ecology of elk, and you... In the West, you got public land grazing on the BLM and the Forest Service and on state land. So you have to understand that that's part of the use of the land. And I've, I've had elk temporarily be displaced by cattle presence. But it's not like, oh, they're gone forever. They might be back in there in a month or they might have to surely be back in there in the next year or whatever. But yeah. I don't know. You might have David, a different you, experience. do
2: you have any... Um, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not real educated on the science of it, but from my experience, it can go both ways. You know, I, I, I get more frustrated when I spook a herd of cattle and they spook the elk. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what I was thinking about. I'm like, yeah. man, my answer is not very scientific. Or a branch <laughs> <breaks. laughs> yeah. you And I get all all set up and yeah. a cow comes walking in. Yeah. that gets my heart going. Um, no, I think it's all... I mean, all of this stuff is all about balance, you know? Uh, a- big animals have been grazing this land for... some of this land for a long, long time and they were called bison. Yeah. And... and uh, But it's not... There's so many variables and all the different... different environments are... are obviously, they're different. Yeah. Um, so I I don't... I would just say that you know there's got to be a good balance, and people should just be mindful of both sides of it. You know, it's not it's it's a very very complicated debate. Yeah, very
1: very complicated. And I have sympathy for both sides of it. Oh, so.
2: really. What's awesome. your
1: what's your answer? Well, it's kind of hard to ask a question and then provide the answer. That's well, no, a, you get no, uh, My my, wa- my
0: wife asks a question all the time, and she's got the. And she answer. knows the answer. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> to a, make sure it's you
1: know a it. Setup. Gotcha. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know i 've uh idaho same thing we 've got open range and uh, there 's definitely cattle in elk country. Uh, a lot of it you get into the back country and there 's not as much but uh, i 've never seen cattle compete with elk in a way that it displaces elk for food or water sources. They may share those resources um, and I think in certain areas, if those resources are limited enough that the cattle are completely wiping it out. They could, but with that open range, those cattle are moving, they're looking for the food. There's, there's enough feed there that they aren't competing yeah. in a way that it displaces them. I will say there are huge herds of sheep that yeah. will move across the landscape in certain areas yeah. and they will eat, yeah. they will graze down to the dirt yep. and there will not be an elk in the drainage where yep. those sheep have moved through. Or a
0: deer. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I don't know if it's just my personal observation, but I suspect there's some science too at that point. Yeah. Way- when sheep come through, it looks like lunar landscape that even the rabbits and, yeah. and the field mice don't have anything left to eat. Yep, and yeah. they stink. And Dirk even said, <laughs> Dirk said, sure
3: that's I don't not think you guys, it's, Dirk, yeah. <laughs> Dirk said, I don't think
0: it's the feed, it's the fact that the elk can
1: smell so good and they smell those sheep and they can't stand it there. But yeah, I uh,
2: haven't noticed as much. how bad
0: that smells if you were an elk. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, so. I, I I'd probably have the same observations. Yep. I I appreciate that you know we got to share the landscape, yep. and as long as it's done smart and and accommodates the yep. needs of wildlife, I think where where hunters get upset is if the wildlife is moved down to priority number 45. Yeah, that's where you start yep. having the rub. Yeah, that's a fair debate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. yep. so. Well, awesome. We, we, we got it, Corey, or do we want to turn the mics towards this uh, dude on the fiddle and the mandolin and the gal singing down there? I... You know, it, it's fitting that we're talking music with David and there's a
1: band playing in the background, uh, but David's playing on the same stage. Same stage tonight?
2: No, yeah.
1: I'm going to have a, uh, a better different place. stage over here. Cool. Okay. So David's yeah. playing here at the Total Archer Challenge tonight and excited to listen to him live yeah. again. You going to get up and sing?
3: <laughs>
1: no. <laughs> I'm not I can't, no. pl- I can't play the radio so <laughs> no <clears throat> but well,
3: David, thanks, where, David where can
1: people uh, find you and especially where can they find your new album sure yeah uh, it's it's everywhere that people listen to music I think my
2: personal favorites, Spotify and Apple Music it's on iTunes um, I have a website davebrinker.com if you search for it just make sure you put Dave Brinker and not David Brinker for some reason it can't it doesn't put the two things together so huh. But, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate you guys having me on. It was really fun. Yeah. Makes me want to go elk hunting. No yeah. kidding.
0: You should go elk hunting. Unfortunately, i still
2: got a month. <laughs> I know. But I, hey, are you coming to Arizona with me this year? I, I, I hadn't got the... In- oh, the coos deer? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Actually, After seeing you guys, all the fun you had after I had to leave with a flu. Yeah. Gosh. Well, we had to get you
0: out of there. We didn't want to get whatever hubu witch pox and well, canker Well, I've that never you wanted had. to die on the Mexican border down there. you Really? Know? I I, uh, I, was in, I was not You, well. you were bad. It was, it was, I've seen people try to hunt when they're sick, but I think you were as ill looking as any person <laughs> I ever saw. <laughs> I knew when it was 85 degrees out and I had a, a, a core lightweight hoodie,
2: a traverse shirt, a, a traverse cold weather hoodie, and like a Kelvin light jacket on it. I'm like, are you guys cold? No, they're like, it's 80. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, I need to go home. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: so, oh, no, I'll be there, Andy. It'll be a good time. Well, what, we, what the audience needs is a pot, you, you bring your podcast kit, and when you guys wrap up your uh, your totally yeah, hunt over there. yep. I know the perfect spot for we, it. We need a report.
1: Yep. Now, right. we'll, uh, we'll definitely check in after our Roosevelt hunt, my first time hunting Roosevelt's, and uh, certainly excited for that, and we'll check in and right. talk about all the mistakes we made. Uh, it'll be great. Thanks for Thanks, watching, guys. Folks. Appreciate, Appreciate
0: it. it.